So do you think that have they ever on, on any Star Trek thing tried to go back and explain why the events of the early 2000s in real life are different than the events of the early 2000s in and like the 90s and stuff in in uh, in the Star Trek universe? Have you ever thought about that? Oh, no, I haven't. What do you do? They, what are, are you thinking of something in specific or? So I think the biggest one is the. I believe it's the 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 things that like the, the the conflict that creates the augments like the Khan and his folks are referred to. I believe as the eugenics wars of the 1990s, if I'm not mistaken. Are those in the 90s? Okay. Yeah. So I believe I believe those took place in the 90s. But I, I was thinking about this the other day because I was looking up some information about the Dax symbiont because I wanted we were, Kim and I were trying to figure out how many different um, hosts she's had. Okay. And. Do you know when uh, the Dax uh, symbiont was supposed to have been born? No, I don't think I've ever... 2018. Oh, really? <laughs> so so we, we're living in a world where like that where weird slug thing... Somewhere in the universe, that's inside, there's... Yeah. There's a two-year-old yeah slug yeah. that becomes our, our beloved Dax. Yeah. So I... Yeah, I, I'm just, I was just thinking about that because, you know, the, again, like... Yeah, the, yeah, so it says, according to Memory Alpha, the eugenics wars were a series of conflicts fought on Earth between 1992 and 1996. So, I mean, that didn't happen. Oh, right. oh, I did it, but uh, but it's. I just wonder if, if if this ever been like talked about with an alternate timeline or. Yeah, that's a good question because at least like that like I guess so TNG was still running at that time, and then everything else has been like during or after the mm-hmm. that kind of like this. Yeah, like the mid '90s was when I think most of this was coming out, right? Yeah. Now I, I wonder if maybe they're a little bit reticent now to to touch it because discovery i don't know if you are aware of this discovery famously has received a ton of ridicule for trying to kind of inject some modern stuff into one of the episodes where you know like the thing that i love that star trek does when they're like they they name like four great people and it's like it's like michelangelo da vinci and and who block of vulcan or whatever yeah, and they did that with uh, they tried they tried to do that on an episode of Discovery, and it was like they said like you know Zephram Cockrum and like Thomas Edison, and Elon Musk, which <laughs> has already <laughs> aged quite bad, yeah. I would say. Uh, I mean, I don't know what your opinions are on Elon Musk. You know, uh, <laughs> probably not going to end up being uh, a a Edison or Tesla level. You know. Well, I mean, I like Edison's reputation. I feel has as more has like come out about him, like not been right. what it once was. Um, I mean, I feel like you could make a case for maybe not like Elon Musk as an individual, but like I feel like a lot of the recent progress in the in like the exploration of space has like SpaceX is very intertwined with that. Yeah, but I and I I don't know enough about it but i assume that most of that now is probably being run beyond his like i don't know how direct of a hand he has in in what they're doing right now yeah maybe that's just me my, my perception of him as a person is like yeah someone who thinks he is much much smarter than he actually is and right i mean he i'm sure he has like actual scientists and engineers and stuff working for him who probably do all that stuff and he's just like what if we did 
tunnels, you know, like right. uh, like in between, like you know, in between talking about how great it would be if Kanye ran for president, like then he just is like he has like this stupid idea notebook that he writes ideas down when he's high or whatever. But I, I wonder if like I don't know, this just seems like a, a strange thing to me that we've now had much more Star Trek come out post when the eugenics wars were supposed to happen, and yeah, I wonder if they have. I I don't know of anything that would have like retconned that mm-hmm. although now that i'm thinking because there's at least one voyager episode where they actually go back to i think the 90s um oh really yeah and so i don't know if they i don't remember if they reference it or not well in in the pilot of tng too uh, when when, do, when yeah, does that, when does q take them yeah i'm trying to remember when that is because that are those the eugenic wars or is that like a different time of the the, the like courts that are in like soldiers and everything i think that is a little later i'm i'm checking that now too uh, it's it's i think it's a good lesson to like if you're writing like fictional stuff you know unless you want it to be unless there's like a fun element to being judged that way like you know for example it, i watched back to the future 2 in 2015 on the day that he goes to the future but oh, yeah it, unless that's what you want i feel like it makes sense to just really you know Almost everything is, you know, eventually is made irrelevant and forgotten by time, you know, and and by the time yeah. that this episode comes out, I, I've been working with my company on a science fiction game and it's set like in the year 3000 or like maybe even later than that. I don't know if I can start nailed on the exact date yet, but. One of the reasons, one of the smaller reasons why I did that was that it's so far away that no one will ever be able to look at <laughs> it and go... Everything we to... will be long forgotten by Yeah, now. right, yeah. Because <laughs> when I look up the year 1996 in uh, Memory Alpha... Cause the, so the eugenics wars were the, like, where Khan came from. Mm-hmm. Um, so apparently that was the year they were defeated and left Earth on the Botany Bay. Mm-hmm. This Q thing, it just says the late 20th century, but then I looked at, I looked up 20th century on Memory Alpha and I can't figure out <laughs> when it would be because it's the mid 20th century that humans make first contact. And I would assume this would be before that. So, yeah, who knows? Huh. Anyway, I think the answer <laughs> to my question is no, but. <laughs> yeah, I don't know that it's been directly addressed. Uh, hi everybody and welcome to Out of Contracts, the show where two guys who have seen part of Star Trek try to watch all of it in no particular order. I'm Ryan Howard. And I'm Brady Jungle. And you wouldn't know it from our discursive uh, long open there, <laughs> but uh, we are talking about an episode uh, today of Deep Space Nine. Uh, first one of those in, in a bit of time here. Uh, episode uh, 24 of season six. It's called Time's Orphan, which made me think about Time's Arrow, which is a uh, TNG episode. Uh, it, it, this is this is another... Uh, Kim and I were doing some uh, Star, Star Trek quizzes on Sporkle recently oh yeah and i was kind of joking to her that someone has to there's someone's job must be to to just check to make sure like make sure we haven't used this this title already yeah but maybe they don't have to check that hard though because in in next generation i can't remember what the actual episode titles are but there are three seasons in a row where there is an episode that is called that starts with a matter of and then like one word like or, or it's just like a matter of honor and a matter of time you know and <laughs> or a matter of perspective or something like that you know and yeah 
So uh, it's, it just has to be different. I don't know if that necessarily has to be good. But anyway, though, um, <laughs> this is called, it's called Time's Orphan, which is, you know, I think a legit title for it to have, given the circumstances of it. But uh, the yeah. the uh, the episode synopsis on Memory Alpha is an accident on the planet Golana sends Molly O'Brien through a time portal 300 years into the past into an uninhabited world. Beamed back too late, Molly returns to the present 18 years old with no immediate recollection of her life or her family. This episode was written by Bradley Thompson, David Weddle, and Joe Minoski, and it was directed by Alan Croker, who is... Alan Croker, I, I recognize that name. I think he may have done some other yeah. uh, episodes. So, But uh, yeah, like I said, our first, our first Deep Space Nine episode in a bit of time. And we were yeah. we were exchanging a little bit of uh, a little bit of text uh, before we began. I think we might actually have a little bit of a differing opinion about this, uh, so we can kind of yeah, we'll see. Yeah, we, we can kind of discuss that as as we go on. So yeah, why don't you start us out? Yeah. So kind of the setup, the the backstory they give uh, pretty early on for this episode is that uh, so uh, Miles O'Brien, who is the the chief of engineering on Deep Space Nine, who was uh, back in a couple seasons of The Next Generation was the, I guess, the transporter officer there? Or that's sort of what he was most notably doing most of the time. Yeah, transporter chief, um, I believe, is what his name was. What his yeah. job was then. And so for the early seasons of Deep Space Nine, his his wife, Keiko, who he met and married on Enterprise in, in The Next Generation, and then his, as well as his, his two kids. Uh, he has a daughter named Molly, uh, and then they have a, a younger baby whose name is Yoshi. Yeah, uh, well, I think, full name I think is uh, Kira Yoshi, but they call him uh, Yoshi on the on the show. Yoshi was born on D Space Nine. There is a there's a good episode of TNG where Worf deliver where Worf delivers Molly, uh, which is uh, a, a fun one that we'll oh, yeah, watch eventually. That's right. Yeah. Yoshi. Um, <laughs> and so we can insert that wherever wherever we end up needing it. That's all I could think of. <laughs> yeah, so. yeah. Because they never they but, never call him Kiryoshi. They just call him Yoshi the whole. Yeah, very rarely. Episode. I think War calls him Kiryoshi, maybe, or some. Every now and then, they someone will use that name. Mm. But they had uh, left Deep Space Nine for a while. It sounds like when the Dominion War was very close, and Deep Space Nine was a dangerous place to be. Uh, O'Brien's family had gone away to safety, and they've just come back to Deep Space Nine now. So uh, it starts out with this scene of. They're getting ready to go on a picnic to a nearby planet, and uh, uh, you know O'Brien is very happy to see a, see his family, and he promises them that you know we'll never be apart again, just because he had, he had missed them so much while they were gone. And so then they they go down to they go down to this planet, and they're having their picnic, and Molly's kind of running around in the grass, and she's like, "Watch me do a cartwheel." She does a cartwheel, and then literally the instant she like finishes the cartwheel and her parents look in the other direction she just like takes off at a breakneck sprint for a nearby cave um, yep. <laughs> it's i did i made a note of like how no sort of like she just kind of wanders off it's like as soon as o'brien's head turns she's just racing across <laughs> the field now's my chance <laughs> yeah, apparently You'd be you'd be surprised though how often how how quickly a kid yeah, can get into trouble. Like, I am am watching this episode as someone who does not have children of my own. So I was talking to someone who was describing that sort of thing. Of they'll, they'll be like turn around and then like turn back, and their kid will like hold up a thing and be like, "Look what I have!" And they're just like, "How did you get that?" It's yeah. like on a different floor of the house. <laughs> right. Well, they're just a lot. They have a lot more energy than us, though, Brady. That's the thing. I guess so. I don't know. <laughs> 
Yeah, but I, the, so I will say though, you know, I, I have experience with my kids running away quickly, but I don't have any experiences with this particular kind of trouble that um, that they that, that she gets it, into. It, so, it sounds like that's probably for the best, I guess. Yes. Um, but although that 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 is one issue I had with kind of the story as a whole is that it's a very I think sci-fi kind of falls into the if you get too sci-fi with it, it becomes an unrelatable dilemma. Uh. Right, like yeah, of the, like so. So essentially, what fair. happens is yeah. is that she runs into this cave and falls into a a time portal that sucks her hundreds of years into the past when this planet they're on was completely uninhabited, and and so O'Brien, you know, and a bunch of engineers from Deep Space Nine kind of bring down a bunch of equipment to, and try and figure out a way to reactivate the time portal and essentially beam her back through time to the present again. Now, I have to stop you for a second here and say that your description of that is as casual as their is as casual as their revelation that there just is an active time portal in this cave. Like there, there's a Yes, yeah, that is it's, it's never really addressed <laughs> why like like Kira like says something to Jadzia where she says like what what is this thing and then Jadzia says it looks like it's some kind of a time portal. <laughs> I was like, "Oh, is, is that all? Like, it's just, oh, it's just yeah. a time portal." It's just kind of around. And I don't think that that's really precedented in. I, I can't think of another episode of of Star Trek that involves time travel where it's just like, "Oh yeah, a time portal." You know, where it's like usually it's like something. I mean, the main one I can think of is, and I don't know if it was intentional or not, with like the shape of this thing is a uh, city on the edge of forever, which is the. The next generation, or the sorry, the original series episode where they go back to like a, World War Two, right, or Great Depression, or something like that. Yeah, yeah. Um, but where they go to this planet, and there's a big time portal that talks to them. I think that they go back through. Oh, right. And isn't but isn't that that there's like a planet where it is, and it's almost like a weird library thing, and like don't don't isn't there like a keeper of the time portal or something? Yeah, this makes I it just so. seem like they're. It's like a TV. Like it's. It's so so casual. Are yeah, they with with it? Just kind of got like left in this cave. I, I, I should also. Yeah. I should also just quickly note that I, again, we don't want to turn this show into uh, us talking about Star Trek timelines all the time. But I did have. <laughs> I did have to note though that this is the first time that I can think of when we've been watching an episode of the show and they've used the phrase chronotons uh, when they're talking oh, yeah. about measurements <laughs> on this thing, and which is the primary form of, uh, I guess, like playtime currency in Star Trek timeline. So I did get a little yep. bit of a jolt of recognition there when they were talking about that. <laughs> like, oh, chronotons. Yep. I know what those uh, are. <laughs> yeah. I, it, it should also be noted that to the best of my knowledge in the rest of Deep Space Nine, including when a main character dies, no one ever thinks that the fact that there's a active time portal hanging out on a nearby planet could ever be useful again. Like as far as I know, they never they never revisit this with like all the stuff that happens in the rest of Deep Space Nine. Yeah, that is that is a problem with like the casual time travel thing. That you know, I don't I know you haven't read Harry Potter, but there's a in one of those books there is this this small handheld device that you can use to go back in time, and they use it you know quite effectively in that book, and they just never talk about it again. And it's like hmm, it seems like <laughs> there might have been of some use. But nah. Right. <laughs> uh, so so. Anyways, we've not gotten far into this episode at all. Yeah. Um, so they they hook up all their technological things 
I, I also made a note that there's a part in this bit where while they're kind of setting it up, Oprah, Miles and, and Keiko are kind of out talking and he's sort of explaining to her and kind of reassuring her because she's very worried. And he's like, you know, we've, we just have to finish calibrating the frequency of the modulation of something and you know we should have it ready in a few hours and then they like say a couple more things and hug each other and then someone comes running out being like it's ready we can do it right now yeah um (laughs) okay uh i I think a a common theme of o'brien not quite getting the timing right in in this episode (laughs) yeah yeah that i i did want to say something about like the subtitle of this episode should just be that like o'brien is bad at math or something i don't know yeah but that does kind of seem to be not only the source of most of the problems but also ends up being the solution <laughs> so they they activate their device and beam you know they, they essentially they lock on to uh, molly's dna signature and beam her back to the present although when she comes she's 10 years older than when she left so they sort of grabbed her in the wrong time and brought her back from there and and then this this is where i feel like they get into the like this is such a like oddly specific and contrived ethical dilemma that they create for themselves because someone asks like well why can't we just try again and like bring her from like change the settings on the thing and bring her from the right time instead and the response to that is that well then you would be you know like erasing this version of molly that you brought that's here right now which would be like murder of this person or that she didn't get to like basically that it's not our right to take away like the last 10 years of of her life I believe is I think right. it's, it's something what Keiko says, and, yeah. Which I was kind of like, I bet you. That, but the logic of that just completely falls apart the second you think about it, right? Well, yeah, um, and not to mention, I'm sure if you if you could communicate with this new weird Tarzan version of Molly, that if you said, well, listen, you could basically be a total stranger to humanity and have to like fight for survival by yourself on a world, yeah. or you could have your child back with, girl again. with your parents who love you. I think she, I, I, I feel like she'd probably pick the second option. Yeah. But because like, because of the weirdness of time travel, like because she had gone to the past. So, you know, hundreds of years have already passed. And so in some timeline, she did live not just those 10 years, but her full life. And you're going to be sort of cutting that off or depriving her of that. The second you bring her back anyway, it's just that you wouldn't know about it. Like the way that you do, if you brought her to the present. Like there's still there's still there's still another version of Molly that like is essentially ceasing to exist. It's just that you never met her. It really is a Schrodinger's cat like situation. Yeah. Of of like by yeah by trying to get her back at any point you're you're cutting off a, a potential. Right. You know, so I, I don't know why they sort of they they do it once, but to do it again would be horribly unethical. And so no. now their their hands are tied. It's a I decided to call it a dilemma ex machina. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, they take, they, but they decide they, they can't bring her back. They can't, they can't try again. So they're going to take her back to D Space Nine and try to reintegrate her with society. And so they set up. I can't. I don't think it's a. It's not a, a hollow deck, right? It's like a just like a cargo bay that they put like some grass in a tree. In a tree. Into. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's very weird. I don't know why they didn't just. I guess you know Quark has control over the hollow all the hollow suite, so I guess they just couldn't have her there indefinitely, as we see later. But. Uh, it's odd. And so, essentially, the majority of the episode is uh, sort of her her parents, because she's been in just kind of completely isolated on this wild planet for, for so long that 
she's like she has no kind of language capabilities anymore she's acts very just kind of animalistic and it's unclear how much she remembers of of her her childhood or her parents or that and so uh they just are you know in this in this setting with her and you know kind of slowly reintroducing her to things that she liked as a kid and to themselves and trying to talk to her and um, and sort of develop a new relationship with her. I, I think we can kind of like fast forward through a lot of that stuff by saying yeah, that it's all it's, very it, like kind of rote cliche stuff. The, the one the one thing that I had noted about it, and if you have anything to definitely please weigh in, but the one thing I wanted to know about it is that there is one scene where they're playing with a ball and they like are like this is a ball and they toss it to her and they're like toss the ball back and then she goes and puts it in this uh in this like little hidey hole where there are 10 balls already and then they kind of sigh yeah. and they take another ball out of this bag and i just i told kim i was like i want to see the scene where o'brien just comes into this place with like a bag just like full of 20 balls like because like, they're right. they're big balls they're like they're like the size of like uh if you played like dodgeball when you were a kid like the foam dodgeball yeah, like size things of, like, like they're yeah. they're huge like to have that many balls in a bag would be cumbersome the amount of balls that it appears that she has taken from them but if uh, she's already taken that many yeah yeah <laughs> um but yeah and essentially kind of over time she recognizes them she starts calling them mom and dad and then she tells them that she wants to go back home to because her home isn't deep space nine now the home that she's used to is she wants to go back to the planet where she's comfortable and in doing so she at, at one point she gets into quark's bar and causes a like sort of panics and uh she the sort of official ruling is that she has to be taken to a uh like a, a psychiatric facility essentially yeah um she she actually she stabs a guy with a glass bot with like a broken glass yeah bottle. she like breaks it like bar fight style like breaks a bottle and stabs a guy with it yeah <laughs> we, we Kim, Kim and I were like wait did she just kill that man <laughs> but it turns out he's probably fine but they he's probably fine it, do, it because... does appear originally that he does he is murdered by by molly <laughs> also like it, it, uh there as the as the o'briens are you know understandably trying to like justify her actions like you know she's you know uh one of them i can't remember which one says well she didn't mean to hurt anybody and, and they're like no she definitely did mean it, yeah she that's why that you was... stab someone with a broken glass bottle is to hurt them you know maybe you were doing <laughs> right. so in self-defense but i think harm was right. definitely in it it was intended. still definitely a... yeah yes like they, she wasn't saying hello right so yeah and then and th th then th this is a part where i feel like it's one of those that they either kind of it's a case of they sort of forget to be taken to some like padded room psychiatric hospital type thing whereas i'm sure in like with the degree of technology they have in the future i'm sure any sort of centers for like patients with this type of thing there's got to be a like holodeck therapy type of option by this point right yeah you're right i didn't, I didn't even think about that because because that's what they like, I'm do sure there's got to be these facilities that are really nice that have like you can you can take someone you can put them in a holodeck and like take the time to gradually reintroduce things like there's all sorts of i feel conditions where that would be a really useful method of treatment yeah i because i yeah i didn't even think about that because that's what they do that's what they're already doing with her on the ship is they're having her go on the holodeck so right you'd think that they would just be able to do that but in an environment where wharf wasn't making them like get out for paying customers at times you know like or cork yeah or yeah cork yeah sorry it's As, I, I know you want to get to the good part of the episode well but... yeah well well we'll get there yeah. 
and and I did also think this is a again it's it's not they're far from the only uh, story to do this kind of thing but I think it's potentially in some cases potentially dangerous message is you know because Bashir says oh it kind of describes this place that she'll go to and the immediate response is no she's you know she needs to be with her parents and so they actually like break her out of uh, sick bay or maybe she's in the break but they like break her out and take her back to the planet and i feel like anytime there's that degree of like you know the sort of the thing that we have to avoid is this person getting help by paid professionals and like well her parents know better and i get that like obviously there's a lot of it's a very complex issue but i think there are definitely cases where where something like that is necessary for the care of specific things and yeah for sure i don't know it just seemed kind of dangerous to be like oh no she like the heroic O'Brien like busts his you know kid that's shown she's a danger to others out of jail before she can get professional help. Especially when their when their solution is just to send her back through the portal and let her live the rest of her life alone. Like it doesn't right. It's uh, yeah, it's an odd yeah. an odd choice. Yeah. Um, so so that is what they do. They take her back to the planet. She kind of steps back through the portal, and then we see that essentially O'Brien has miscalculated again. And so she, I'll see if I can explain this. In a way that it makes sense. It doesn't. She goes, I, I, it doesn't. Okay. But go, but go on. <laughs> too, too late. So, so the the eighteen year old Molly that they're sending now goes back in time to the sort of presumably the the moment in time where the young Molly had first got fallen through the portal, and she recognizes young Molly and says and like essentially like tells that molly to go like now that the portal's open to go back to just step through the portal which she does which means that she goes back to like step the present so yeah uh essentially and like she just shortly after she she fell back through the portal it's just there open she goes back through it again and comes back and is back to being eight years old or whatever she was and recognizes her mom and her dad and they reunite. Uh, which then also makes the older Molly cease to exist and kind of disappear. She sacrificed herself which is, for which, herself. Yeah, which now is fine. Although earlier, there's no way we could do something like that. She got to choose to do it in this in this version, I think, is, yeah, is the sure. messaging there. But it's, it is one of those things where it's like, this doesn't make any... And, you know, time travel is just hard. Time travel it, it, never completely does but but this is like it's so egregious where it's like how did like if that person never existed like like, like i don't know it just, it, if that person now never existed how does anyone remember her how does how was she able to go do the thing that that with you know it just it just doesn't it just is nothing yeah, like, like in the present all of that presumably still happened and even it, though she never became yeah it's just one of those things too i think time travel really does ultimately like come around to just do a good you just have to tell a good story and like if you tell a good story then who cares like i just watched all three of the back to the future movies again for the first mm-hmm. time in a long time recently and the you know the, the those don't really make sense if you think about <laughs> like, them but like a who time ca- paradox is not going to call like cause like pieces of your body to slowly disintegrate over time but i mean even beyond that it's just like it doesn't make sense as to like you know like like they're it's inconsistent in terms of like what kind of theory they're using and 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 just right. and like why would why would if if they're still in the the like, it, it doesn't make sense like when they are going from one timeline to another or whatever but like it also is like i'm not thinking about them when i'm watching the movie who cares? cares it's just good it's just entertaining and good and i like it and 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 i really do like i think that like 
the first Back to the Future movie has like essentially like a perfect screenplay. It's I just, it's it's so so good. And not that I think every time travel story has to hold up to that standard because I think that would be hard. But you know, if if I cared about what was happening, <laughs> if I cared about what was happening, or yeah. if I felt that they cared about what was happening, I would the writers. I mean, I would be much more inclined to to you know go easy on it for this stuff. But it doesn't really seem like even they have a lot of investment because it starts out with there's a time portal here. Oh, okay, just there's a time portal. <laughs> okay. Who cares? And then it ends with them being like, yeah. and it's fine. Who cares? Well, you know, like it. It's. It was so lazy, and then the stuff in between felt so lazy too. With when they're trying to, I feel like I had seen all that stuff before when they're trying to communicate with Molly. And then this, the thing, something that bothered me so much about this episode in particular was like every time that like Molly is making some kind of a breakthrough, or you have to look over at the O'Briens and they're all sad. And obviously, yeah, they would be very sad, and it would be very, I'm sure, it would be a very hard thing for this to happen to them in real life. But the music was so maudlin. I can't think of like another Star Trek episode where like the music just tries to hit this so. hard hard where there's just like all of these just like really melancholy strings and and it's just hmm. like ugh, like it just i i hated so much of like the molly stuff in this in this episode i just found it like just lazy and tired and and i was sad because you know the last time we this we're recording this episode in july and yeah uh the last time we watched a Deep Space Nine episodes for the show was, I believe we recorded that episode in March. So it's been several months since we've, or it's been a few months anyway, since we've, yeah. Uh, since we've done one and you know in that time I've watched a lot more of DCS9 with Kim just for because we're watching it and yeah I think you've you've probably seen more than I have now yeah yeah I we're you're probably past wherever I we're in season three now um, and yeah. And it, you know, it's still my, it's still not my favorite Star Trek, but I, I have definitely appreciated it a lot more watching it. And I was, so I was kind of like, all right, we're going to do another one of these. And I'm kind of going into it. I want to be like the advocate, you know, we, you know, we, we've kind of have given, I think, Deep Space Nine a bad rep on our show. And so I was like, all right, let's, you know, posy, stay in posy, like, let's, let's do it. And then it just kind of like, just took a big turd, at least the A story took a big turd on, you know, in, in, in front of me. And I just, I just was very disappointed that I couldn't like have more positive yeah. things to say about it. Now we, we've, I think conspicuously not been talking about the other thing that happens in this episode, which we, I think we can pivot yeah. to shortly, but you know, before we do, like, I want to, I want to hear from you about, about like your thoughts on the A, the A part of the episode yeah it was one of those i think for whatever reason and maybe it was just because either because we just haven't watched like i i feel like it's been a while since i've watched star trek or maybe because it's been a while since we've watched deep space nine um and i was just in a good mood for it i don't know but i like it definitely the the story itself was is yeah is clearly very weak and doesn't really you know it's it's it doesn't really like cover any new ground it's just kind of like okay let's do this like they came up with the premise of we bring like this person that was young and then lived 10 years in the wilderness isolated and now we have to reintegrate her into society and it sort of plays out exactly the way that would th- that you've seen that in like any other story similar to that and then even like the time travel stuff was like you said kind of lazily generated and then I feel equally lazily resolved of just like, okay, well, we need to make everything go back to the way it was. So she goes back in time and then like has the opportunity to fix it all. And so she does. And then young Molly is back and everyone's happy. Like the, the story itself. Yeah. I, I, I was not impressed by it all. I thought that, uh, the, the performances by, I mean, I, I love O'Brien. I think he's great. I, uh, oh, for and sure. I really enjoy Keiko as well. 
I, I like Akiko, but she she's felt kind of I I kind of turned on her a little bit in this episode just because like one of the very first things that happens is that O'Brien tells one of his kids how much they've grown, and then she's like, "You're one to talk," and then like pats his belly, and I was like, "That is yeah." Like as as someone who is overweight, like like that would hurt my feelings. I think pretty bad if my wife did that to me. <laughs> like like the, after like, like one of the first anyway. things she says to you after you've been apart for yeah some yeah. It, so there were two. There were actually two. There was that, and then I, either in that same scene or the next one, they'd make some other joke about O'Brien liking to eat too much. I think when he's like look, he like look, looks in the picnic basket and he's like no sausages. Mm. Um, and for some reason. Like when that happened, I like some, and I think it may be like either just how he looks or his uh, kind of like mildly Irish accent. Mm-hmm. Now, I all I want is to see Colmaney play a hobbit. <laughs> um, I think it would just be so perfect. I think, <laughs> yeah, like just in that scene, there was that was just so much of the vibe I got that I was just like, oh, he'd have been so good he- in. In Lord of the Rings. Yeah, he has like a hobbit face too, and like yeah, because he's got like the haircut, face and the, like, like the curly hair, and yeah, it'd be so great. Oh man, I mean, his honestly, his name is almost a hobbit name already, isn't it? Colmeny. I could see a, a hobbit yeah. being named Colmeny, and like yeah. it's short for like Colmenius or something like that. Like yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah. <laughs> you know, my fellow Bulgers and Meanies. Yep. Uh, oh man. Yeah, I don't know. Wow. Right? This is opening a whole new <laughs> uh, a whole new portal of like fan fiction. I feel like. Fake, right? <laughs> Anyways, yeah, but um, and and even I thought that uh, uh so uh, Michelle Krusiech is the the guest star that they had in this episode that played the older version of of Molly, and I thought she did a you know she did a, a good job of kind of bringing some emotion to that role and sort of sh- going through that um that journey from being like completely just scared and terrified of everything to recognizing her mom and dad to kind of realizing that she wanted to go home. Um, like I thought the performances were solid. Um, but the more I think of it, I, I wonder if maybe, like, by far the, the best part of this episode and maybe just what won, won me over in terms of this episode was what, at least, like, story-wise, was the B-plot. Yeah, the B-plot was is good. It's head and shoulders, the the best part of this of this whole episode. Yeah, so, um, yeah, I, I like the way that, we didn't talk about this beforehand, but I did like how you kind of took care of the A-plot. We've talked about that. Yes. It's in the past now. Let's... Let's let's let, you know. I don't think I've talked about, talk about, about the, this because only a few scenes. The, the other episode of Deep Space Nine that we watched yes, at the same time. It's quite. It, this is good. Yes. So so essentially, the setup for this is that while um, O'Brien and Keiko are kind of spending all of their time in this cargo bay with Molly, trying to to sort of reacclimate her to society, Worf and Dax have volunteered to babysit their their younger child, uh, Yoshi, who is a, a baby of some age. I'm never good with knowing how old babies are but like Worf does refer to him as old? well yeah Worf does refer to him as quote this infant which I believe is inaccurate based on his size and also his ability to I think I think walk or at least crawl is he is he toddling yet yeah yeah so like in in the like I, I would guess in like plus or minus two maybe maybe a little yeah yeah I'd, yeah I would guess like between one and two because he's not really talking yet like he's making some sounds mm-hmm. and so uh and but essentially like Dax still has lots of work to do and so Worf kind of takes this takes on caring for this this kid and at first he, he insists on it like she she was yeah. going to do it her, so, herself and he's like no no she, I can yeah do it. she like had this she had this project that she was going to do that night that she had been looking forward to and was all ready to do and she's like oh well now I have to take care of the kid instead and so Worf's like no you go do your thing I will take care of the kid 
and she initially is like very reticent and like worried you know she doesn't want to tell him that she's worried he won't do a good job but he knows but he yeah he knows and so he he convinces her and and kind of takes care of the kid and um, oh it says in the inner alpha by the way that apparently yoshi is 14 months old that's uh according to there's there's a quote where Worf says i can handle a 14 month old child okay got it that still not an infant that's yeah and so he uh i think is the next scene we see with them when like dax is sleeping and Worf comes into the room kind of complaining that you know woshi yoshi won't stop crying and go to sleep and uh yeah yeah, i think so is it when he's like they may show him like singing some like klingon songs to the baby or playing with like a a klingon sort of toy to build hand-eye coordination it's a klingon rattle basically yeah (laughs) right which, which Bashir, I feel like, gives him an unfairly hard time about. Yeah. Yeah, but essentially Worf is like, does these kind of sort of like Klingon child things of that essentially are all with the intention of turning these babies into great and honorable warriors someday. Mm. Um, but the, you know, what kind of the, the linchpin scene of this is the baby's crying and Worf comes in and Dax is like trying to sleep and she's like, okay, well, you know, I'll I'll take a try, a try at it because he's tried all the things that we fed him and changed him and uh, sang him a song and all that. And he, and I feel like this scene especially, like Worf is just so good because he's like, you know, first he kind of admits that he in his mind this is like dax is sort of assessing how good of a parent he would be Mm -hmm. if if they were to have kids and so he has to like prove that that he would do a good job because he knows that dax doesn't think he would be a very good parent um and and part of that i think is that he he still feels a lot of guilt over sort of how the kind of father he was to alexander who i think that mostly plays out in next generation i don't know if alexander's in deep space nine at all but is, i don't think is he's a, a, i don't think he's he makes an appearance in deep space nine i don't i don't believe yeah. and i don't i don't remember the alexander stuff super well but essentially is this it's bad son that Worf <laughs> had <laughs> yeah um this this is back i and i think this is what i was wondering is is this stuff is it like Worf having grown as a character or is it just that for whatever reason in deep space nine he has writers that are better able to write material for him that's just but because like i feel like Worf, like this is kind of Worf at his best is when he's sort of like vulnerable like uh you know is, is not when he's just like punching his way out of a problem but when he's really like kind of a getting real personal with something because he has so he has a degree of like kindness and i feel like it would be kind of racist to say humanity but um he he has a real I think this is what I love about him so much is that he has he has a real vulnerability and for so much of the show of both of the shows about I mean well I, I guess I can't speak too much for DSS9 but like for so much of TNG I think like he want he's trying so desperately to hide that vulnerability but like he really does yeah. he has like imposter syndrome of the highest order about like everything he does you know like he doesn't believe that he is like Klingon enough but he also you know isn't sure that he is good enough to be a Starfleet officer and in this in this one he's like you know he doesn't think that he yeah. is you know that he he's not sure that he's good enough to be like he's determined to prove to to Jadzia and to himself that he yeah. can make a good dad but he's not sure about it and and, and it is you know 
the the Alexander stuff, I don't know. I don't know how, how poor that reflects on Worf. I think it does because he really is not a very good dad to Alexander. But like, yeah, it's, and it's, I think it's, it's part of the point of that kind of those those stories. And well, but, uh, but I I don't know that it is actually. I, I think that like it it was maybe a smart choice for them to kind of have him say in this episode, "I failed Alexander," because it, I think in those stories, I think the reason one of the reasons why he comes off as such a bad dad is that all of the episodes are about how like basically Alexander is inconveniencing him and it's like well why did you put Alexander on the show like like, like it see like it doesn't like Alexander is a bad character and the episodes yeah. where where he is in them with Worf are with with one ex- major with one or two major exceptions I would say like A Fistful of Data's is a really good episode although not really because of Alexander and then there's another yeah, episode too with with Luxana that is that I like that has Alexander in it but but um <laughs> The but again the the reason you like that episode maybe yeah maybe but not Alexander yeah but she she interacts with she she does it's like it, yeah. it, it's Alexander is an important part of that episode still but it I, it just seems like having this kid that then like can't be on the show all the time and so when he rarely is on the show like it only that that in and of itself is like kind of this thing of like is worth seeing his kid you know that you kind of have to think about when you're watching it and mm. it's just a uh, I think a flaw in like that conception that those writers had, um, you know, I don't know. I, I feel like I'm kind of like circling what yeah. my, my point, but I, I, I do think that they've definitely developed him better. Cause I'm, you know, at the beginning of TNG, he was kind of stupid. And I think right. that he was just sort of the, the muscle or like, you know, the guy yeah. who would just try to punch his way out of every problem. Yeah. But- um, and, and I think, yeah, I think part of that you can chalk up to better writing and part I, I'd like to see, like, I hope we get to see more episodes of deep space nine with Worf in them. Cause I wonder if they sort of, if they develop that character to this point, because he's definitely a different character now than he was like in, in TNG, right? Like I feel like an earlier Worf would have gotten very angry about this situation and like frustrated and be like, why am I taking care of a baby anyways? Um, and I, I, I really like the bit kind of when he goes, he decides he's going to do it and he goes back out to, to keep trying to calm the baby down. And he gives the speech of, you know, I've, I've like won many battles and survived a you know fleet of dominion ships and done all these great things. Like I will make this baby shut up and go to sleep and and i like how he's almost like proud of it um do you yeah yeah, yeah. he says i am a klingon warrior and a starfleet officer i have piloted starships through dominion minefields i have stood in battle against kelvins twice my size i courted and won the heart of the magnificent jadzia dax if i can do these things i can make this child go to sleep yeah and i, I it's just so great because i i love that he like he sees this as like this challenge that he's like proud to be facing mm-hmm. like he sees that like you, he can you know this is an opportunity for him to win honor even though kind of the you know what the traditional klingon view might be that you can only win honor in like violent battle like he he's kind of come to the point where he realizes that like this is a just as much of a challenge and a chance for him to kind of do this you know yeah have the success and he's like goes like joyfully to to meet this challenge and it's just such a cool progression to see Worf come to a point where he can have that degree of i guess like introspection or self-realization yeah or just maturity i think and I, and I would agree that I, I think that on the episodes where we've seen him in Deep Space Nine, I do think he's probably a better written character. And, and I think by the end of from TNG, he's a better written character than he was at the beginning. But I, what I do like about it, though, is that I do think that it all does exist on a continuum of like character development. Because I do think that ultimately, like his thing, his deal is always, I feel like, not being sure that he's good enough. 
and wanting to prove to everybody and to himself that he is. And this is like another version of that. And, and you know, and even in this one, you know, he has that speech, but then like the, the, like, I think like the last episode, the last scene with him where he thinks he's failed, that he, that he, you know, he accidentally, or, you know, while, while he was playing with Yoshi, Yoshi fell and hit his head. And then he, he thinks that Yoshi doesn't like him and that he would be a bad dad. And then he, and then, you know, and he's very down on himself, which is something yeah. that he does quite a bit you know, in, in Star Trek and then only, you know, but that he, he's very proud of himself once he realizes that Yoshi actually did enjoy their time together, you know? Yeah, because because he learns that Yoshi, like, keeps, like, shaking the rattle and doing this, like, Klingon war chant. Which is, <laughs> uh, Jed Zia tells him that he does this, he, says, he kept on saying, gung, 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 and Worf says he did, and then she... And she says, he seemed to be getting a big kick out of it. So what does it mean? And he says very solemnly, that is between Yoshi and me. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I just love, I, I mean, yeah, I just love Worf in this episode. Like, yeah, I think my takeaway is I feel like I could watch an entire spinoff series just of like Jadzia and Worf. Yeah. It, in, they, like a sitcom or something. I don't they know. love each other so much in this episode. And I just really warmed my heart to see. Uh, but like... <sighs> This is the other thing, though. This is I was telling that this made me feel sad watching the episode because I I, I realized like probably like two thirds of the way through. I think I think like in the, the the scene when they're in bed and talking, you know, I, I got really sad because I was like, this is probably like a few episodes only before the yeah. show kills her off. And I I was just reading an article about this recently too that basically you know we I mean, we talked about it I think in passing, but basically she wanted to stay on the show but like have a little bit more limited involvement for whatever reason. I don't I don't remember. I think she. She might have maybe she was pregnant or she had other career things or i don't even yeah remember, right. but... i think it may have been yeah i think because because this was right before she started i think when she left was when she started the the um uh becker becker yeah so i i think she may have wanted to like split her time between the shows or something like that um and and basically uh the producer of the show i think it, i don't, I don't want to slander ronald b more if that's not who it is but, but uh, i, I, I want to say it was rick berman but oh maybe yeah I, I, now I, i'm also wondering if i'm wrong but, but yeah they like, both have b's and r's and then it's anyway they were basically like no like you have to do this or not do it and they just killed her and it, it sucks like they really did do that character dirty in a way that i think and no disrespect to the actress who plays Ezri in the final season but it's just it just i, I don't know it's it really is a shame and, and it, it is like it exists on this like weird continuum of as much as we do like star trek and 90s star trek and 2000 star trek like the, they have this weird not very good track record with how they treat a lot of the women actresses in real life on these shows, you know, where they just kind of like unceremoniously killed off Yar or Denise Crosby's character because because Roddenberry thought that there was one too many women on the show, you know, and and, uh, and like just like so many of like the kind of degrading stuff they put Troy through and like the degrading outfit. Like I, I, this is something else I was, you know, listening to another podcast about this recently where where uh, Marina Sirtos was basically talking about how the uniforms they put her like her those dumb like swimsuity or, you know, trip, you know, exercise suit yeah. uniforms they put her in, how that really harmed her character in terms of like her character's gravitas. And eventually, you know, towards the end of the series, she does start getting put in, in Starfleet uniforms. And she talked about how she ends up having more interesting stuff to do in the episodes themselves, roughly corresponding to when they did that. And, and mm. even I, I was, I, for, I read too, this, this is a lot of this is from this, this one article I was reading and I can't remember what it's called, but I'll, I'll try to, if I can find it, I'll put it in the episode notes. Oh, I can't promise that, but, but like where apparently seven of nine or, or, you know um uh what can i think of the actress's name who jerry was, ryan jerry, jerry ryan like a, a character who we both really like that 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 
uh, the, her cat suit that she wore like gave her like back pain like you know this like this like you know very sexual I do, yeah i do remember like type. hearing that that it was yeah apparently like uncomfortable to the point of actual like, like causing like health problems yeah and that really just bummed me out to to read and then just yeah thinking about this like seeing how like vibrant terry farrell is in this in this episode and how good that relationship yeah. is with Worf, it just really made me sad that they like that they ended that story that way so I, even that like i liked it but i couldn't i couldn't view it like outside of the context of like what i know is going to happen to her in like a few weeks time you know in in the mm, show yeah but anyway that was a, a long tangent but but i mean that being said this was it was a very charming yeah bit of a bit of like overall like not great episode i thought i don't think kim and i'll probably rewatch this one when we get to when we get to it though <laughs> that's right kim watched this one with me so <laughs> yeah uh, i i don't have anything else though i i i hope i didn't step on you yeah, no, no, that was good. I think I think we we covered a lot of ground on this one. So mm. um, I think the only other note I had is that in our watching of Deep Space Nine, and maybe you can now speak more to this. Do you, is Kira the character you think who most often doesn't have anything to do in the episode and just kind of randomly gets like one scene to like justify being getting screen time? No, no, I think mean, that might just be a trick of what we've been watching. She actually, I would say, in the first three seasons of the show, is probably among the most featured characters because there's so much of the show that has to do with like the fallout from the civil war or not the civil war but like the war with the cardassians and like the Uh, german politics and stuff stuff. yeah so Uh, she actually has a ton to do um i would say because i can think of like this one i I can i feel like there's a couple more where there's just been like one scene where it's like oh oh kira's here and like she like says one thing and then just kind of isn't it the rest of the episode yeah I, i would say not counting uh jake because jake is on the show so little that uh apparently the actor uh, garrick is actually on the show more than jake is even though jake is a featured uh, cast <laughs> member but um besides jake i would say in the early goings of the show i would, might actually say that Jadzia probably has like the least the the, the fewest times oh, really? where like the story is about her and most of the time when it is about her it's um it is like it's like an explicitly like trill based you know it has mm. to do with her being okay. a trill specifically but being a trill um, interesting anyway uh but yeah no she yeah but uh Kira is very important at least in the the beginning of the of the series so but yeah i think that is all we have though uh so thank you everybody for listening um we come out uh every other sunday and next uh on in, in two weeks we're going to be talking about we've, we've been doing a lot of voyager episodes and that is not changing uh next week next time <laughs> we are doing um a season six episode 21 of voyager which is called live fast and prosper <laughs> which which i think we've said before is the when when we found out about this we decided maybe the best named star trek episode yeah it top uh, top 10 for sure and so yeah we're gonna be talking about that in a couple weeks you check out some of our sister podcasts we are on the kaleidoscope media network so that you could listen to here's johnny which is a show about horror pop culture you can listen to that's not how science works which is a show about kind of applying pop culture or sorry applying science, scientific method and and uh you know real life science to to fiction especially like science fiction or you could listen to wizard studies which is about about Harry Potter and various Harry Potter topics. Um, for us, you can follow us on Twitter at Contracts. You can email us at outofcontracts at gmail.com or you can visit our website at uh, outofcontracts.podbean.com. And uh, yeah, until until next time, uh, have a good couple of weeks, everybody. All right, thanks, everybody. Bye. Although listeners of this podcast may find themselves brave for having withstood classic episodes like the body switching, the enemy within, or the gothic witchy horror of Cat's Paw, 
we at the Here's Johnny podcast like to dive even deeper into the genre of horror. That's right, Justin. And even though you really dated yourself, naming off two super old episodes of Star Trek, here on the Here's Johnny podcast, we review video games and films from all over the horror genre, looking at different subgenres like vampires, aliens, and zombies. And we compare the similarities and differences between the media. We also have discussion-based episodes, which range from interviews with people in the industry, deep dives into directors, and their filmography or analysis into video game timelines. Yeah, that fictional history of Resident Evil was quite the doozy. But be sure to check us out. You can find us on any podcast site. We have new episodes every Monday, and our website is here's Johnny com backslash horror. And on there, you can find links to our episode feed, all our social media. It is all there. And remember, in space, no one can hear you scream. And stay scary. <laughs> <laughs>